You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venezia, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. It just changes the focus and the perspective of, of what life is all about. You know, you may feel as if uh, you know, you're not accomplishing anything at your place of employment. Maybe you're, you know, your sense is just, you know, it's the same thing over and over and over again. Such a mundane, colorless life that I live. But when you have a perspective of, man, you're working alongside of God to further his kingdom, to preach the gospel, I mean, that changes your whole perspective. Have you ever found yourself feeling like your job or even your life isn't going anywhere or that it's getting repetitive? In today's message, Pastor Mike speaks about bringing the sharing of the gospel into our work and how if your goal is to do God's will instead of yours, you'll find your job and even your life to be more fulfilling. But that might not always mean directly spreading the gospel at work. Sometimes it just means showing God's unconditional love and patience with your co-workers. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Genesis chapter 41 as he begins his message, The Secret to Joseph's Character. I remember what you said, you where we left off last time. Our text is found in verses 41 through 57. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all of the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring off his hand, put it on Joseph's hand, and he clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. And he had him ride in the second chariot, which he had, and they cried out before him, Bow the knee! And so he set him over all of the land of Egypt. Pharaoh also said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no man may lift his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphnath Panina, and oh boy, did I kill that name. And he gave him as a wife that name there, and the daughter of Padi Parah, and I just killed that one as well, priest of On. And so Joseph went out over all of the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all of the land of Egypt. Now in the seven plentiful years, and I'll explain all of this to you in a moment, the ground brought forth abundantly. And so he gathered up all of the food of the seven years which were in the land of Egypt and laid up the food in the cities. He laid up in every city the the food of the fields which surrounded them. 
Joseph gathered very much grain as the sand of the sea until he stopped counting, for it was immeasurable. And to Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, whom uh, Ashnut, the daughter of Padipura, priest of On, bore to him. And Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for God had made me forget all of my toil and all of my father's house. And that's what that name indicates. And the name of the second he called Ephraim, for God had caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Then the seven years of plenty, which were in the land of Egypt, ended, and the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. The famine was in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread or food. So when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Then Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph, and whatever he says to you, do. The famine was over all of the face of the earth, and Joseph opened all of the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians. And the famine became severe in the land of Egypt. And so all countries came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain because the famine was severe in all lands. Now, as you know, and we've drawn this to your attention many times before, you know, Joseph has sort of become a series, like sort of like a mini-series within our series and studies in the book of Genesis. I mean, we've been studying Joseph. Our focus has been on this character now for the last couple of months. And over and over and over again, I've drawn to your attention that Joseph is held up as someone of great character and virtue. So here's the question, and this is what we want to talk about this morning. What was the secret to his character that led to power, promotion, and confidence. I mean, wouldn't all of us want to experience some of what Joseph had experienced in any degree whatsoever, even in the smallest degree? Think about it. He's just a kid, 30 years old, and he's promoted to second only to the king of the most powerful nation upon the face of the earth, Pharaoh in Egypt. Think about that. He's only 30 years old. What in the world happened when we're first introduced to Joseph, he's 17 years old when his bro brothers betrayed him, betrayed him and threw him into a pit, and then there he's sold into slavery, right? And then through an unusual series of circumstances, and we'll talk some about that this morning, particularly for the sake of those who haven't been here for the last couple of weeks, kind of bring you up to speed. But now he's 30 years old in the progression of what God was doing in his life. And so only at you know a short period of time, what? Some 13 years or so, 17 years at best, and now he's gone from being a slave, a youth, just 17 years old, to the mo one of the most powerful men upon the face of the earth. So I'd like a little bit of that. I'd like a little taste of that. You know, I don't want to be a king or anything. I mean, but I would love for my life to be blessed and enriched and full. Wouldn't you? So that's what we're interested in here this morning. That's what we want to focus in on. Again, Joseph is held up as someone of great character and virtue. So what was the secret to his character that led to such power, promotion, and confidence? Now, in the first part of this chapter, we are told that Pharaoh dreamt a dream. So let's go ahead and consider that. We're in chapter 41 in verse 1, and there we read, Then it came to pass at the end of two full years, and that would have been two full years Joseph is still in prison since he interpreted the dream of Pharaoh's cupbearer, right? 
and uh, just kind of following the sequence of events leading up to uh, chapter 41 in verse 1. So it's two years, and the cupbearer has totally forgotten Joseph. Remember, after Joseph had interpreted the cupbearer's dream, how that he would be restored back to power, right, and uh, to his position in Pharaoh's court, Joseph adds, and please, when you're restored, remember me. Well, guess what? The cupbearer forgot Joseph. And now two years have passed. So two years after his uh, interpretation of the cupbearer's dream, now Pharaoh begins to dream a dream. And then it came to pass at the end of two full years, verse 1, that Pharaoh had a dream. Okay, so that's what we're told there uh, in verse uh, 1. And Pharaoh obviously knew that this dream was supernaturally inspired. And because of the fact, he was extremely troubled. Have you ever experienced that before yourself? Now, we've talked about dreams in one of our services, one of our recent services. We don't put a lot of stock, or we shouldn't put a lot of stock in dreams. There's only two books of the Old Testament where dreams are even mentioned or suggested, uh, one of which is the book of Genesis. And uh, remember the dreams that Joseph dreamt concerning his family and how that he would have preeminence over them. And then also the dreams of the cupbearer and Pharaoh's butler. And then also we're introduced to this dream of Pharaoh's here in chapter 41. And then the only other place that I could think of where dreams are even mentioned or suggested was that of uh, Daniel's uh, in the book of Daniel. And, uh, and those are the only dreams. In the New Testament, we, uh, the, uh, the men and women of God receive revelations and visions. Like, for example, the vision that was given to Peter in the book of Acts. Remember the great sheet that came down from heaven with all of these unclean animals, and God was doing a whole new thing, and he was grafting, into the, uh, grafting in the Gentiles. Uh, and so he wanted Peter to understand and know that. Consider the book of Revelation. For the most part, the book of Revelation is a, an entire vision. So anyway, we don't put a lot of stock in dreams. Dreams more, more or less are the result of our subconsciousness. You know, the things that vex us, the things that trouble us, uh, you know, the things that we're wrestling with, and, and because of those things are, are, are placed within our subconscious. So it's not like we're putting a lot of stock in dreams. But nevertheless, Pharaoh knew there was a sense that the dream that he dreamt was supernaturally given to him by God. And uh, I'm vexed sometimes, and, I, and again, I, I, you know, most of my dreams are inspired by late-night pepperoni pizzas, you know, kind of a thing. And, uh, but sometimes I wake up and I'm extremely troubled about the things that I've dreamt. And, uh, and there's been times, I've got to tell you, to be honest with you, that I've wondered, was this dream actually inspired by God? And, uh, but I don't really know if it was or not. It would, be, it would be false for me to even suggest that it was. But these are things that are just heavy upon our hearts. But this is not the case. This is definitely a dream that has been inspired by God. And that's the very reason why that dream troubled Pharaoh, for he did not know its meaning. Okay, so let's go on and let's talk about this dream that he dreamt. Let's go on at the latter part of verse 1. And behold, he stood by the river, that is in this dream, Pharaoh standing by the river, probably the Euphrates. Suddenly there came up out of the river seven cows, 
fine-looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. Then behold, seven other cows came up after them out of the river, ugly and gaunt, and stood by the other cows on the bank of the river. And the ugly and gaunt cows ate up the seven fine-looking and fat cows, so Pharaoh awoke. Yeah, that would wake me up pretty quickly as well. So then he goes back to sleep, verse 5, and he dreams another dream, a second time. And suddenly seven heads of grain came up on one stalk, plump and good. Then behold, seven thin heads, blighted by the east wind, sprang up after them. And the seven thin heads devoured the seven plump and full heads. And so Pharaoh awoke, and indeed it was a dream. Now, in verse 8, we are told that Pharaoh, being as troubled as he was, appealed to all of his magicians and soothsayers that were found within his courts, but they were of no help in understanding and interpreting this dream. But then Pharaoh's cupbearer, okay, who had been restored to his original place, who remember last time together, or maybe it was the time before that, when we were first introduced to him, he was Joseph's fellow prisoner in jail. But now he's been restored to that place, and he's once again standing before Pharaoh. And all of a sudden now, he remembers his old friend Joseph from prison and the uncanny abilities that he had to interpret dreams. I mean, after all, he interpreted his own dream. And then in verse 12, he broadcast that to Pharaoh. Notice what it says in verse 12 of chapter 41. Now, there was a young Hebrew man with us there, that is in prison, a servant of the captain, the guard, and we told him, and he interpreted our dreams for us. To each man, he interpreted according to his own dream. So, the cupbearer tells Pharaoh, you know what, he's still in prison. So, therefore, Joseph is summoned for, notice there in verse 14, just follow along with me, and now Joseph is standing before the king, standing before Pharaoh, and he interprets his dream. And basically, he explained that there are two periods of seven years, and that's what the cows and the stalks of wheat are all about. Uh, first of all, there would be a time of plenty, followed by a time of darth and famine, verses 26 and 27. Should we read that? Let's read it. We'll do it quickly. Uh, the seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads are seven years. The dreams are one. And the seven thin and ugly cows which came up after them are seven years. And the seven empty heads blighted by the east wind are seven years of famine. And so, again, there you have it. And therefore, because of the interpretation of this dream, Joseph interprets it for the pharaoh, for the king, but then he continues on and begins to counsel Pharaoh. And, uh, and this is no small thing. Think about it. He's, he's still pretty, a pretty young guy. But there's such confidence and assurance that God's hand was upon his life. We've talked about this before, right? And, and he knew that he had the authority of God resting upon him. And so Joseph counsels Pharaoh to act 
accordingly. And so Pharaoh now is so impressed by Joseph's abilities and counsel and wisdom, what did he do? He's appointed prime minister over all of Egypt, and then he's given the task to see to all of the affairs during both periods of seven, during the years of plenty, as well as the seven years of famine. And so this part in the book of Genesis is the story of Joseph's elevation to this lofty position, right? Think about it as the prime minister. That would be the equivalent of a prime minister or a cabinet position or the vice president, if you will, in our United States of, uh, of America. His elevation to that lofty position. Now, think about this. From the beginning, this was Joseph's destiny. It was all ordered by God. You know, God has a plan for each and every one of you. And there is a destiny that, you know, God is uh, already planning for, for your life. And you can be sure of that. In fact, one of our previous studies had to do with that very subject. And again, if you haven't been around for the last couple of weeks or you're visiting for the first time, by the way, welcome. And as Pastor Jose had mentioned, all of our previous messages, whether it's the King of Kings series on Thursday evenings or our, or our Sunday mornings, our Origin series, they're archived on our website. And so you can just listen to them at your leisure. You can download them to an MP3 player, your phone, whatever, on your computer, and uh, whenever time allows. Listen to those previous messages. I believe that God will speak to you. But God has a plan for each and every one of us. And uh, he wants to use you to do great things. I mean, think about what a privilege it is to work alongside with God in this great occupation of furthering his kingdom and preaching the gospel. Isn't that an amazing, amazing thought? You know, it just changes the focus and the perspective of what life is all about. You know, you may feel as if, uh, you know, you're not accomplishing anything at your place of employment. Maybe you're, you know, your sense is just, you know, it's the same thing over and over and over again. Such a mundane, colorless life that I live. But when you have a perspective of, man, you're working alongside of God to further his kingdom, to preach the gospel, I mean, that changes your whole perspective, your whole outlook on life. You know, you may not have some other advantages that other people enjoy. You might not have a lot of money in your pocket or in your bank account. You might not have certain advantages for education or, you know, being born into a wealthy family or, or whatever. But nevertheless, every one of us has the opportunity to work alongside of God. And that thought changes everything, right? Think about that. What a privilege it is to work alongside of God in the great work of preaching the gospel. So right from the very beginning, this was Joseph's destiny. I wonder what your destiny is. I wonder where we're going to be in like two years. I mean, we might be with the Lord. I mean, who knows? But I wonder where we're going to be like, for example, next year. You know, if the Lord tarries, if the Lord doesn't come back to the church this next year, you know, the trumpets blow, the rapture happens, and we're out of here. But who knows? You know, Patty, you might not even be able to settle into Albuquerque. <laughs> That's all right. Okay. You'll have a man, oh, well, at least you, you have a mansion now in Albuquerque, but you have a better mansion in, all right, in heaven, right? And, uh, but five years from now, you know, you just never know. You know, I, I think about, uh, the day that I received Christ, I remember my wife and I were up in Alaska, 
And this is like going back some 40-something years, like 44 years, because it was within the first year of our marriage where both my wife and I gave our lives to Christ. We were up in Alaska. We were teaching school. Well, actually, we were waiting for our appointment. We were teaching up in a, you've heard this story before. You're probably bored to death with it. But we, we, uh, we were teaching at this Athabascan Indian village right on the Yukon River, right at the Arctic Circle. And we were waiting for our appointment to happen. And, uh, and we wound up in this Christian community for a couple of weeks while we were waiting you know, to get onto the plane and then be uh, you know, lifted to that location to begin our, our, our teaching assignment through Alaska State-operated schools. And, uh, and I had already, uh, the Lord had already moved Christian people across my path uh, prior to that time. And I had already met Chuck Smith from Calvary Chapel and all kinds of Christian people. I was out in California, hooked up with a bunch of I was already attending Bible studies, but I hadn't made a decision yet. But anyway, through a, a crazy, unusual series of circumstances, I remember the day that both my wife and I gave our lives to Christ. And as the pastor was leading me in the prayer, one of the deacons that happened to be standing alongside of him began to prophesy and said, you know, this guy, Mike, is going to be a teacher of your word. And I looked at him, and I was a school teacher at the time, but he told me that I was going to be a teacher, that I was going to be a pastor, a teacher of God's word. And I, you know, I just stopped and looked over to him. I said, this guy's out of his mind. You know, maybe that's what he was hoping that would happen in my life. And then who knows, you know, years later. And it's just amazing. Who knows what's going to happen or how God is going to use you down the road, right? He has a plan. He has a purpose anyway. And our destinies are ordered by him. And so with Joseph, think about this. All of these events lining up was a culmination of a rise from slavery to greatness. It's a story unparalleled in the history of the human race. He was once trampled upon by life and everyone around him. Have you ever felt that way yourself? I mean, think about it. His brothers betrayed him, sold him into slavery. Potiphar's wife unjustly accuses him of raping her, and thus he's thrown into prison. But now all of Egypt is commanded to bow before him, and he's second only to the king. Remember what we read in verses 43 and 44. He was to ride behind Pharaoh in another chariot, and as they passed, they were to bow down to Joseph. In 13 years, as I mentioned before, he's only 30 years old now. So in 13 years, from, from just a youth, a teenager, 17 years old, 13 years later, he's now 30. He went from a mere shepherd boy to assuming control of the mightiest kingdom upon the face of the earth. In my father's house there's a place for me in my father's house where I long to be. Oh, my when you look back at your life, what moments stand out to you? There are probably some pretty great ones, getting married, having kids, graduations, and celebrations. But I imagine there are also a few you'd rather not remember. The ones that come back to run through your head at night as you try to fall asleep. When we take a look at the stories of some of the Genesis characters, we see it all. 
the good, the bad, and the ugly. These people you meet made their fair share of mistakes, but that didn't disqualify them from being used by God. God built a nation from human beings who were far from perfect. And guess what? He wants to use you too. God has a plan for your life, and you can faithfully follow Him in the way He has made for you. You can be forgiven of your sins and start fresh, remembering the faithfulness of God since the beginning of time. We're so glad we got to spend time with you today in the Word with Pastor Mike Venizio and in my Father's house. This program is a ministry out of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Midtown Manhattan. Check us out online at harvestnyc.org. There you'll find service times and our easy-to-find location. We have easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. Come by and see us. If you aren't close enough to drop by, you can find links to our online streaming and more on our website, harvestnyc.org. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. Thank you for joining us today. We're out of time for now, but come back and feast on the Word with us next time in My Father's House. Oh, my heart, not be troubled.